This is WLNZ Lansing. You're listening to LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. To find out more about LCC Connect programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Hey, hey, hey. This is Lisa A., and you're listening to Who's That Star on LCC Connect at Lansing Community College. Who's That Star is a behind-the-scenes show where I sit down and talk with the employees at the college. This is an inside look at LCC where you will have a chance to learn about their passions, projects, what inspires them both at work and in their personal lives. I'm your host, Lisa Alexander. I'm so excited to get a chance to talk to all the people who make LCC great. This show is for you to get to know the people that work at Lansing Community College a little bit more and see what makes them tick. Are you ready? Okay, let's go see who's today's star. I'm so excited to have today's guest on Who's That Star. He is pretty new star here at LCC. He began working with us in 2021. In his first year, he has led LCC's baseball team to the College World Series since 2017. Our baseball team finished fifth overall nationally and had a 44-11 record. This star has coached at many different levels of baseball, including as a high school coach at North Muskegon and Spring Lake High Schools. He coached at college level with the West Michigan Whitecaps in Northwoods League, the Muskegon Clippers in the Great Kales League, and worked as the lead development instructor at Extra Innings in Muskegon. Nicole Waters, acting athletic director at the time of his hire, stated he is sincerely interested in helping players be successful and experience personal growth and success in whatever way is defined for that individual, on the field and off. Before baseball, he was an entrepreneur who owned an assortment of small businesses in West Michigan area for over 15 years. He currently resides in Mason with his wife and four children. All right, everybody. Are you ready to learn who's today's star? Today's star is Stephen Cutter. Welcome, Steve. We are so glad to have you here on Who's That Star today. Thank you, Lisa. I'm super excited to be here. So I'm ready to just jump in. So I'm going to ask you some questions and we can... Go where we go. Sounds great. All right. So can you tell me a little bit about who you are and what is important to you in your life right now? I think just helping people develop into versions of themselves that maybe sometimes they're not even aware of what their potentials are. Uh, that's really a driver for me in my life and in in how I help serve our student athletes here. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a big driver. I think too, too often uh, we start out with common might be and we get uh, used to it. And uh, I'm a big proponent in pushing people to do a little bit extra, do a little bit more, uh, find, find things that they're uh, really good at. Okay, so 
I, I bet with athletes, well, young athletes as well, you have students that come in and they are developing their personal self, right? And so you get to play a part in that. And so I think that's not that I don't think baseball is great, but I think that the investment that you put in our students is greater. And then you can see that result later on. So kudos to you. When did you begin working at LCC? I started in August of last year. So I was hired by acting uh, interim athletic director, Nicole Waters. And I started and we hit the ground running. Uh, baseball and softball are really the only two sports here that go almost year round. Mm-hmm. Uh, both baseball, baseball and softball have fall seasons that start in August and they end around Christmas time. And then they have their spring seasons that start just after Christmas and end uh, hopefully in June. So I didn't realize that there was a fall season. So is the fall season just like, is it, does it count towards the? It, it matters, but it doesn't, your record doesn't necessarily exist. Got so, you. so it's just kind of helping you get ready and yeah. prepare. Okay. Well, what drew you to want to coach at LCC? I knew many years ago that I wanted to coach baseball on a full-time basis. Mm-hmm. And so I, I began working towards that. And as I began working towards that, I was given a lot of really special opportunities. And some of those opportunities you find out are not necessarily the right fit for what, what your passions and what your dreams are. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was important for me... Th- to when I transitioned to the college level that I went to a place that we had a supportive athletic department, that we had a supportive college and that we had expectations of, of success mm-hmm. and, and not only on the field, off the field, in the classroom, in the community and, and everything. Right. And, uh, Lansing really fit that bill. So, when I first toured here and walked around campus, I, I could tell it was it was uncommon. It was it was special, and um, it, you know it's it's just uh, it's it's everything about Lansing. Being in the capital city, being a block away from the capital, having so many different opportunities here. It's just uh, it's a special place. Mm, well, we're glad to have you. I'm a Lansing local, as they say. So it's always interesting to see what people, you know, view of Lansing from other people. So I am glad you're here because you were were you you were by a lot of water, like West Michigan, right? A lot of water. Yeah, toes in the sand, a lot of water. Yep, yeah, for sure. Uh, I grew up in West Michigan. It's a beautiful place to grow up. You don't probably realize it, but it's uh, it's a tourist, uh, you know, area and a lot of people that's a destination for them to come to. You don't really realize that growing up what that's like. But when you're taken away from it, you do realize how how special it was. And we understood that when we lived there, we we lived fairly close to to the beach and mm. and uh, it's it's a special area for sure. Yeah, you would have had a lot of visits from me if I'd have known you because been quick access to the beach and <laughs> right. Michigan Adventure too is up yes. there. So yes, all right. So what I knew, I read in the um, bio that you were an entrepreneur, right? Yes. At some point, how did you get started in? And wanting to coach baseball, like what, how did that transition go from owning several businesses to then deciding that you wanted to coach, uh, I mean, baseball full time? Extremely interesting, really. Uh, As 
as I was working through the entrepreneurship of owning businesses, I found a lot of joy in that. I found a lot of freedom in that. But as I did it a little bit longer, I wasn't able to connect with people as much as what I thought. I wasn't able to find a true, really good passion for serving people by providing them with services, if that makes sense. Yeah. I started coaching Little League baseball. I was coaching um, youth football. I was coaching youth basketball. I was, it wasn't just baseball, but I, when I was coaching Little League baseball, I, something just kind of clicked. Mm -hmm. And I get to a point where I got nominated to coach a maybe nine U All Star team. Mm. I mean, it, nothing big by any stretch, but to me, it was it was that 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 was cool. And I was spending so much time working on practice plans and trying to figure out how I could best serve those little kids. Mm -hmm. And and that's when I kind of realized that maybe maybe I need to make a transition. That transition didn't happen overnight. It took a while. Yeah, it, it, I had to get our family on board yeah. for sure, starting with my wife and and then of course children and stuff. And it was it was a tough transition because when when you're a business owner, you have a lot of freedoms. Meaning that if our children had a had a school play at at twelve thirty on a Wednesday, I could pretty much always be there. Mm -hmm. And the transition into coaching, especially where we're at now, uh, you you miss a lot of a lot of things. There's there's a lot of stuff that you just don't get. Yeah. So that that's I got started at the little league level and and just kind of started building up from there. And I said that I wanted to work uh, get get a full time job in baseball and serving others through the, the game of baseball. And, and so here we are. Yeah, that's a great story. I mean, because, yeah, you're right. I know uh, that had to be a transition from a lot of different areas, but it sounds like it went well for you because you're here. But I was curious, so do you go to school to be a coach? How, do, how does that happen? Is it just blood, sweat, and tears where you just go through and experience and learn from someone else? How does that work? It depends on what, what type of coach you want to be, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, do you want to be an average coach? Do you want to be a great coach? I knew that if I was going to do this, I was going to do it at 100%. And so I had to start learning from the successful coaches out there. Gotcha. Uh, it wasn't just baseball. It was just, you know, are, are you a successful coach? And what are you doing? Because success always leaves clues. Right. And so does the lack of success. But that being said, so I, I, you have to have degrees to coach at the college level. So that's, that's pretty important. So you do need the education piece. But it's, it's more of a process of trying to learn as much as you can. Mm -hmm. And then continuing that process of never stop learning because mm. once you think you know everything you're you're pretty much going to start going backwards right okay and so and so that's kind of it's kind of where that started oh that's interesting because i never knew how you know people got to coaching like what was that like is that do they have a bachelor's degree in coaching no. you know and and what does that look like or do, do you do it through blood sweat and tears and it sounds yeah. like you kind of figure out what you want to do and Go for it. So what's the day in the life of a college baseball coach? 
I'm not sure that uh, time really exists. Uh, everybody gives gets 24 hours in a day, and uh-huh. everybody uses that time differently. It starts with early mornings. I'm working on something usually at all times. Mm-hmm. I'm also helping our children get ready for school and get to school. Right. And then I'm I'm in our athletic department very early in the morning, and I'm there until at least lunchtime. At that point, I transition to our facility or our home field. I'm usually mowing, edging. Really? Doing, doing, I, I maintain the whole field, yep. And then um, we start practice at 1 o'clock, and we go until about 4, 4.30. Wow. And then we usually have uh, things like uh, weight training or leadership classes or different things that we do. So uh, I get home. I, I try to be 100% present when I'm at home as much as possible. Mm. I remove, try to remove the phone as much as I can. And we try to have dinner as, as often as possible. That's, that's challenging today. Um, our children have busy schedules like everybody else do. Right. You know, they're playing sports and different things, but I try to be as present as I can. And, and then once everybody goes to sleep, that's, it's typically when I, I try to do a lot of the work and that's, that's what I've done for, uh, a number of years in the baseball world of just, that's where I'm able to learn as much as I possibly can. I try to figure out ways to separate, separate myself as a coach, because anytime you're coaching, you try to, you, how do you, how can you connect with people? What, what makes you different? Mm-hmm. I got into the mental performance, psychology, and, and and those areas, and because in the game of baseball and in athletics, it was not heavily understood or used or mm-hmm. even known. So that's kind of where I made my niche, and then through that, it it worked into relationships and the, the building, the trust building, and cultures. Right. And that's where we've had a lot of success. Oh, that's interesting. That sounds like uh, your day doesn't stop up until about, what, eight? Or, I mean, it's just constant going and going. So that's what I always wondered about uh, coaching. It seems like it's just never ending and that you always are doing something to help the team. and But I love to hear that you try to get a good work-life balance as much as possible to do that. So what are you most proud of in the last year? I think the, the there's really two things. Uh, one was seeing the group of 28 players last year go to the College World Series. Mm-hmm. That was something that was extremely special for them. Yeah. And for the college, too. And it had more to do with wins and losses or what happened on the field. It, it was just really special. So I was really, really, I'm really proud of that. The second thing is when we moved from West Michigan to the Lansing area, uh, our oldest daughter was a freshman in high school and we moved in the middle of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, we moved in November. So it was before, it was after the school season had started. It was before Christmas break. We moved at a weird time, mm-hmm. but in the housing market, that's sometimes how that happens. Right. And so that their transition between elementary, middle school, and high school into a new school system with, mm-hmm. without knowing anybody was extremely challenging for them. 
as you would expect for anybody. So I think I'm most proud of that, that my wife and I were able to help them transition in really tough situations. And, and now they have lots of friends, as you would expect, yeah, and, and, they're, and, and they're they're fine. But change is hard for people. It's, oh. it's so hard for uh, whether you're 95 years old or you're five years old. It's so hard to make changes. And so they I'm most proud of them for being able to, you know, get through a little a little bit of adversity and and come out on the other side where, where it's, you know, they're fine. That's great, because that's more than a notion traveling as uh tweens and teenagers and all that that has to go into that so yeah i commend them kudos to you guys for doing that so and for you all to help them work through it uh what motivates you to work hard fear of failure mm. is a is a big motivator and i i I think about things as in I really try to seek perspective. And so I think about like this could all be taken away mm -hmm. because everything we have is can be removed in an instant. Right. And so that's a big driver for me. Um, not just the idea of that today is, is all we have. We're not guaranteed tomorrow and whatever titles or whatever jobs we have could be removed uh, immediately and somebody else could do the same thing you're doing. So that's that's what drives me. Um, I'm I'm definitely scared of of failing mm. and uh, not making those that I love proud. OK, hey, that's the best motivator, isn't it? Keeps you going. And in what ways do you achieve that work life balance? Because like the schedule that you told me, you are very present with your players in the program here. How do you get to be present with your family and, and, and make that balance work? What do, what do you do to, to do that for yourself and your family? It's really a, a great question. And I, I wish that I could have better answers. I know my feelings of if you want to be great at something, you're you're going to struggle with balance. It's it's going to be tough because you if you're giving a hundred percent at whatever that is that mm -hmm. you do, it's it's hard to have balance. Uh, thankfully, I have a great home life and a wife that is extremely supportive, mm -hmm. so she helps remind me of of that balance. We're always connected as coaches. Just last night, my you know my phone's going off at at midnight with you know a player reaching out with an update on something that was important to him at that time. Mm -hmm. we're, that's normal. We're we're connected with the student athletes at all times. They have so many different needs than one might assume that they have. Sometimes we we have kids that get homesick. We have kids that are. Uh, emotionally sad because of you know something that's happened uh, in relationships we, we have so many different things that are going on mm -hmm. that um it's it's hard to be present it really is so i try to i try to be where my feet are i try to wherever i'm at i just try to black out everything else and try to be have my head my heart my feet all in the same spot that's 
that's the only way that I can find balance because I really don't know what balance is. Mm. I, I'm terrible at balance. And it seemed coaching would make that difficult to be, it you know, does. balance would be difficult and hard because of just so much time you get. But I love hearing that your wife, you know, is a good supporter and there and someone to help you, you know, bring it back in, buddy. <laughs> so, that's a good thing. Um, if all your needs were met, time and money not a factor, what would you spend your time doing? Exactly what I'm doing right now. I knew you was going to say that. I was like, he's already doing what he loves. He's had an opportunity to own a business and do that. And then I think that's like the great thing to be able to live your passion. You know what I mean? Like you're lucky because you love what you're doing. You got the option to do that. So I think that's pretty cool. Um. What life lessons have you had to learn the hard way? I think the one that really comes up is when I started out in the business world, I was extremely driven, but did not have great trust in others. Hmm. And I tried to do everything on my own. Mm. I tried to, you know, be the CEO, the, the, the worker, the, the cleaner that right. I, I, I tried to do everything. And that led me down a, a road where I ended up in the hospital with a lot of stress induced mm. issues. Yeah. And so I, I had to, I had to, <laughs> had to learn the hard way through that. And that was a process. But what happened through that process was, I learned how to build strong teams around myself. Okay. And we, we definitely, we have a, you know, today's coaching staff is that, is that way too. They they have titles, but they also have jobs and we just uh, let them do their job, uh, count on them to do their job. Right. And there's not uh, a whole lot of micromanaging or anything else. I, and so that was a really good lesson to learn. I think, you, if you're going to go anywhere in life, you're going to realize that you didn't do it on your own. You had a lot of help and it's important to never forget that. Yeah, for sure. Right. I, you don't make it on your own. In my opinion, I agree with you. There's a whole bunch of people lifting you up and supporting you. Okay. I got two more questions yeah. and we're almost done out of time, but... What really lights you up and makes you excited in your life? My children, for sure. And seeing people succeed and have success. That, that's, we, we have a, we talk about a vicarious joy for others. Mm -hmm. We try to teach our student athletes that. That's where you uh, have a true passion for others succeeding. Sometimes today in our society, that's not always there. Um, sometimes we have a, a lot of jealousy and, and things like that. So we, we try to promote that. We talk a lot about um, if you get a team pitcher, what does what does normal people typically do? They're going to look at themselves in the team pitcher first and then look at the rest of their teammates. We, we try to build a culture where they're looking at everybody else mm -hmm. and looking at themselves last. 
And when we can teach that, we, we did really well last year. When we can teach that and see it come to fruition, that is uh, absolutely what uh, fires me up. Well, I definitely um, I have an opportunity to advise some of your students on the baseball team. And I was talking junk to them and <laughs> I was asking them, are you guys really that good? You know, what y'all going to do? And they were like, yeah, we're that good. We're, th-. you know, so I could see where they had that that kinship together. They supported one another. They would come down to advising together in groups and you could see them where they were trying to get stuff done. So I think that you came to LCC and built a great culture so far. So we're so glad to have you. Um, I let you say what 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 would you like to leave our audience with for your last thing on who's that star? I think uh, because we're always recruiting student athletes to come to LCC, one of the things that I've learned in the last year is so few actually know about all the special things that are here. And and it's not only things, it's people. Mm -hmm. The college is full of so many great assets, whether it's people, uh, buildings, and so many special things that are here. And so... The more we can spread that knowledge, the more you'll see our campuses, both campuses continue to grow. And and that's something that's important to athletics, to to everybody, because through that, that serves more and more people. Right. Well, thank you, Steve, for coming on Who's That Star today. I appreciate learning about the baseball team and also learning a little bit about yourself. And I will see the audience next time on Who's That Star. You've been listening to Who's That Star. I'm Lisa A. And you can listen to this episode of Who's That Star and other shows from LCC Connect anytime online at lccconnect.org. Thank you for listening. Catch me next time to find out Who's That Star. Connected with LCC Connect at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Lansing Community College's downtown and West Campus offer newly renovated conference and event spaces that can accommodate over 500 attendees. Professional event planners are available to guide you through your experience from setup to catering. LCC offers convenient locations, state-of-the-art technology and hybrid meeting capabilities, in-house catering, free event parking, and on-site customer service. For more information about LCC's conference and event spaces or to request a rental quote, please contact LCC's conference services at lcc-events at lcc.edu. Take an ordinary putty knife and scrape off the old wax ring. Place the new wax ring over the flange, then line up the bolts with the bowl and gently set in place, making sure a proper seal is created with the flange and drain. Next. Um, Dad? Uh, yeah, sweetie. Is that a new plumbing manual? Oh, um, yeah, yeah, honey. We really need to get some new books. Right, um, do you you want me to stop? Nah, I kind of want to know how it ends. Okay. 
tighten the bolts, line up the flushing valve to the opening in the top of the bowl, and secure the tank with a screwdriver and crescent wrench. The smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. This is Bob Myers from the Historical Society of Michigan with a Michigan History Moment. When the Civil War broke out in 1861, two little girls from Michigan followed their father to war. Their experiences would have a permanent impact on their country. Ella and Josephine May were the daughters of Franklin and Maria May of Kalamazoo. Reverend Franklin May, a Methodist minister, enlisted as a chaplain of 2nd Michigan Volunteer Infantry soon after the bombardment of Fort Sumter in 1861. As the regimental chaplain and an officer, Reverend May was allowed to bring his family with him. April 1862 found the May family in Arlington Heights, Virginia. As 8-year-old Ella and 13-year-old Josephine ambled around the grounds of a large estate, they gathered handfuls of wildflowers. Then they came upon freshly turned earth that marked the grave of a soldier. The girls impulsively laid their flowers on his resting place. As they walked home, the girls picked more flowers and laid them on other graves. Their mother, Maria, was moved by the sentiment when they told her what they had done. The next day, Maria May and a friend went out and placed flowers on the graves of Union and Confederate soldiers. Maria and her friend, Sarah Evans, did the same thing a year later, and in 1864 as well. As they visited graves in Fredericksburg and other battlefields, people began to take notice. Citizens of other states emulated their actions. In 1866, immediately after the war, several towns held ceremonies at their cemeteries. In 1868, General John Logan, commander of the Grand Army of the Republic, a Union veterans organization, declared that on May 30th, veterans of all Grand Army of the Republic posts should put flowers on their comrades' graves. May 30 became Decoration Day. In 1871, Michigan became the first state to make it a state holiday. In 1888, Congress declared Decoration Day a national holiday. Decoration Day became Memorial Day. And in 1971, Congress changed the date to the last Monday in May. And what about the little girls who started it all by laying flowers on the graves in 1862? Now, Josephine May died in 1872 at the age of 25 before Decoration Day became a fully realized observance. When Ella passed away in 1901 at the age of 48, she was honored as one of the founders of Memorial Day. This Michigan History Moment has been brought to you by michiganhistorymagazine.org. Connecting you with Lansing Community College, this is LCC Connect. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. 
The LCC Library empowers the Lansing community to learn, teach, and discover. Located on the second and third floors of the Technology and Learning Center at the corner of Capitol and Shiawassee on LCC's downtown campus, the LCC Library's ambient spaces are available to the public for work, study, or quiet personal projects. In addition, those with memberships at collaborating libraries are free to check out materials from the LCC Library's collections. For more information, visit lcc.edu library. Hey parents, say hello to Instant Style with Fashion On. Just spray and look cool in an instant. What about my bifocals? Hey, I can't see. But your kids can see you, and trust me, they see fashion. Fashion On is not available in stores because it doesn't exist. But that's okay. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Because kids in foster care don't need perfection. They need you. For more information on how you can adopt, go to AdoptUsKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council. The Lansing Community College Foundation provides scholarships that make education possible, change students' lives, and uplift our community. Students may apply for scholarships November 1st through January 31st. Learn more at lcc.edu scholarships. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Welcome to Galaxy Forum. I'm your host, Melissa Kaplan, and we're here to explore the creativity happening in the LCC galaxy, in our classrooms and on campus, and connecting the work of our stars with our community. For over 20 years, LCC's Human Services Program has required a two-semester practicum of its majors. This practicum places students with a wide variety of community agencies where they gain invaluable hands-on real-life experience. Today, I'm really excited because we have a group of guests in the studio, plus one on the phone, to talk about this program and what it means for the agencies and for the students who participate. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome first on the phone, Janet Marion on LCC's faculty for just shy of 20 years and who serves as LCC's Human Services Program Director, where her work includes placing students in the agencies. Thank you, Janet, for being here. Thank you, Melissa. Joining us to share her experience as a practicum student is Suwinde Constance Ye, who is pursuing a number of degrees, her bachelor's degree, after having accomplished quite a few, and she can tell us about those. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Melissa. Um, so my name is Sawin Beye. Um, I've been at LCC for over six, seven years. But um, during my um, during my study here, I was able to get my general associate. I got my certificate of achievement and certificate of completion. And I just graduated with my associate degree in human services. Um, transferring to the university, Siena Heights University, to get my bachelor's degree in community and human services. Congratulations. That's a wonderful uh, uh progression of accomplishments one day. Thank you so much. Yeah. It wasn't an easy journey, especially as a mom 
and working, going to school. Yeah, it was a tough journey, but through the grace of God, I made it through. Absolutely. Do you have young children? Have they been supportive of you? Have they understood what their mom is doing? Um, I have a four-year-old, really. I mean, she was very supportive because working 12 hours um, in a hospital, especially during the COVID time, getting 45 minutes of sleep before going to work for 12 hours and then doing practicum, it was tough. But I'm grateful for my husband and even the instructor, Janet, she she did extremely well because at one point I just couldn't do it. Health-wise, um, I wasn't focusing. Um, I had to talk to her and tell her, I can't do this. Having 45 minutes of sleep, coming to school, and then having to go to work, take care of family. But she gave me all the support that I I needed. That's, so that's, I, I'm grateful for that. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. I'm grateful for that, too. And, and so that's helped you accomplish mm-hmm where you're at. Well, we'll hear more about your practicum. I want to kind of delve into that in a minute. I want to quickly introduce uh, our guests from the Allen Neighborhood Center, uh, one of the agencies that practicum students are are placed at. Uh, And we have two guests, Denise Paquette, who is the Director of Outreach and Engagement. Thanks for joining us, Denise. Thank you, Melissa. And Joan Nelson, who is the retiring executive director, uh, who will be leaving Allen Neighborhood Center fairly shortly after <laughs> building, helping build a, a powerhouse organization that serves so many populations in our, our community. So welcome, welcome everybody. And we heard a bit, so one day about your educational path, um, we've got there's so much that we could talk about today. And one of my challenges is like, where, where to, do we want to dig in? And I think we'll just see how the conversation goes. If we, usually this is a round of 28 minute podcast. If we want to continue it into a two-parter, that's what we'll do. Um, Janet, can you tell us, just give us a real quick overview of, first of all, what is a practicum? Not everybody may be familiar with that term. And, and how does, that work here at LCC. Okay. So uh, the term practicum is very similar to an internship with the exception that for a practicum, it's usually designated at an associate degree level um, where internships are usually designated at bachelor's and master levels. Um, so it is a term that is not heard very often, especially in this area, because we have so many four-year universities around us. Um, but it is the same basis. The students complete their program courses, which I'll go over in a few minutes. They have to have a 2.5 or higher grade in those. Um, and once those are completed, they can apply to practicum. And it is where we place students with a community agency based on their area of interest of the issue or population they want to work with. And they're um, set up to go into practicum at that agency under supervision, like Denise was for Constance. Um, and then they go in with a learning contract and other forms, a timesheet, et cetera. They do 10 hours a week for 16 weeks, 160 hours in fall semester, and repeat at that same agency 
um, with the same instru- uh, same agency supervisor for the next spring semester, another 160, giving the student 320 hours of practicum, hands-on um, learning experience. That is substantial. That is a substantial uh, learning opportunity. And, and I almost hate to ask this, but if you could share with us what that means in terms of, of student experience for uh, uh, pursuing uh, their career and jobs. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, yes, the program is the associate's degree, and the first half of it is to get the student through the program courses and practicum, but they also have general education courses that they have to meet. So, the program is like 63 credits. It takes the students two years to go through if they go full-time, longer if they go part-time. But they gain all of the professional um, organizations' values and knowledge and competencies. When they enter into practicum, it's competency-based, based on the general competencies of the National Organization of Human Services. Giving them that hands-on experience, actually working with issues and populations, um, hopefully to be able to get letters of recommendations, to build professional rapports, networking, um, maybe even mentoring on for, um, you know, their bachelor's and master's program as well. So it is set up if a student wants to complete their associate's degree and find employment within the area, then yes, they can do that. But it's also set up for a transfer degree for, you know, their bachelor's program. And then from there, students have options of, you know, what bachelor's or master's program they want to go into. And I help them with that and and help them with that decision. But definitely hands-on experience. And it is very time-consuming for the student because not only do they have their family life and their work life and education, now we're adding 10 hours a week on for them, but it's an invaluable experience, not only Constance, but any of the practicum students will tell you of what they've learned and learned about their community, and we also teach about civic engagement um, and the policy pieces and procedures and sometimes how that whole safety network within a community is in place for individuals in need. And that's Exactly what Allen Neighborhood Center exists to do is provide, uh, has grown, uh, Joan, to provide a, not only a safety net, but but really imaginative opportunities for the rest of the community to engage. Tell us a little bit about Allen Neighborhood Center. We're going to go there first or next, and then and also what it means uh, for Allen Neighborhood Center to to collaborate with LCC uh, in in this this practicum program. Right, absolutely. Well, the Neighborhood Center, Allen Neighborhood Center, has been around since 1999. Wow. And we are a hub for neighborhood revitalization and for a broad range of activities that contribute to the health and well-being of uh, Eastside residents and other stakeholders. The Eastside is essentially the northeast quadrant of the city. Um, we, had, we learned the value early on of working across program areas. So um, we offer health-related programming, uh, operate a, a health enrollment site. Actually, Denise is in charge of the outreach office, which provides that service. Also uh, operate a pretty, she operates a pretty robust information and referral service 
linking neighbors and others actually to uh, housing and food and health and utility assistance wow. uh, that they might provide. So comprehensive. Um, yeah. And then we also have a whole set of food-related programs that range from a weekly pantry um, where we distribute about 1,400 pounds of food every Monday um, and a couple hundred pounds of grain products. Uh, our farmer's market, which has been around since 2004, um, we operate uh, the Hunter Park Garden House, which is a hub for gardening and farming education in Hunter Park, offering tons of workshops in gardening and children's programming. Also do uh, uh, entrepreneur, have an entrepreneurial focus. We have an incubator kitchen program that provides access to entry-level food entrepreneurs uh, to a, a licensed kitchen, uh, as well as business development support. Um, and we've just completed the building of Allen Place, uh, an $11 million development offering 21 housing units, mixed income units, uh, and bringing onto the block uh, a federally qualified health center, one wow. of the Ingham Health Centers, clinics, Elfco Food Co-op, and opening an accelerator kitchen for graduates of our incubator program. I think what's significant to know about ANC um, regarding our, our partnership with LCC is that we do all these things with a fairly small staff of about 11 people. Hmm. Um, but we also, at any given time, have uh, several AmeriCorps and then 15 to 20 interns or practicum students and then about 500 volunteers a year who work in the greenhouse or volunteer at the market or the pantry or whatever. Every program area is headed by uh, a program leader, Denise, in this case, for outreach and engagement. Um, and they are assisted occasionally by an AmeriCorps, but on an almost daily basis by an intern or a practicum student who really uh, are relied upon, actually, to help us provide this broad range of services that we, you know, commit to providing to the neighborhood, you know, so interns play a, you know, a critical role. I mean, we, we literally could not do what we do, could not provide the services that we provide without the time and the talent and the energy of people like Constance, who uh, stay with us for nine or 10 months to, uh, to work with our neighbors and actually develop a relationship not just with us, with other people at the center, but develop ongoing relationships with our neighbors. The people that you serve. The people that we serve. So, Wendy, did you have any idea when you started that, that, you're, that you could have such an impact? Not really. I, I, <laughs> I can remember walking in the first day, and I was like, man, am I going to survive? But <laughs> thanks to Denise, she took that fear away. And she helped me gain my confidence. And uh, after that, I just got connected. You got connected. So, um, Denise, when you have a new intern or practicum student come in um, and you work with the, the school so that the placement is, is appropriate for what their interests are, how do you, 
She said you helped her survive. What did you do? What was that 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 life raft that that you threw her? Well, it really is trial by fire in my office a lot of the time. Um, so you know, they come in and I talk. I introduce them around, try to give them as much information. Um, but we work in a fishbowl, so I am available to my students all the time. We don't have to set up a formal meeting. They know they can talk to me any time of the day. Unless I say, wait, I have to finish this email. Um, <laughs> but pretty much they just have access to me the whole time. Um, Constance was pretty shy when she first got there. And, you know, she took over the senior program. We have, Joan didn't say it, but we have a senior program for seniors. And we meet once a week on Wednesday mornings. And we, speak, we schedule speakers. And then we support the speakers. We support the seniors. We run this program. And Constance did all of that. She just took it and she grew it. She started making sure they got their birthday cards mm -hmm. and she started making sure we had birthday cake once a month when we had birthdays during that month. And she took that all on herself without asking for reimbursement or anything. Uh -huh. And um, they're going to be so thrilled when I tell them on Wednesday that I saw her. <laughs> I bet <laughs> they miss they you. ask me about her on a regular basis. So, you know, try to give them all the support, give them the trainings they need. There are some very structured trainings through the state of Michigan that my interns go through um, so that they're able to help them enroll in Medicaid or food assistance programming or whatever. Um, Constance has the advantage of having children, so we had someone come in who needed to enroll in the school district, and Constance knew how to do that. I didn't have a clue. Um, That's but great. But she was able to help, and they spoke French, which she also speaks, oh. and so she was able to help them in their own language. So, oh, just how invaluable. Yeah, invaluable. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, that's so not only serving seniors. Now, are the the seniors from that neighborhood, or do they come from uh, other neighborhoods too to to enjoy this? It's primarily for East Side residents, but there are several members of the Senior Discovery Group that that come from other parts of town and even outside of town. And the, the cool thing about the Senior Discovery Group is that there is a speaker on a topic of interest uh, to this group every week. So it's kind of a continuing continuing education program. And we bring in speakers on you know, uh, health issues and health topics and uh, food topics and yeah. safety issues and chronic disease once in a while. They, they are less fond of the presentations on chronic disease. They say they live that. They don't need to hear about it on Wednesday morning. You know, but also on the first Wednesday of each month, the intern or practicum student will arrange to have someone come in from MSU to speak uh, about another country or culture. It's a partnership with, with MSU, actually. You know, so... Um, the seniors are a pretty opinionated crowd, I think, right there. <laughs> Do you get into some good discussions with them, Sonia? Oh, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Now, in your studies, are you particularly focusing on um, seniors? And, yes. Okay, yeah, tell us a little bit about specifically your, your interests and then how this practicum has impacted you. So um, growing up, I didn't have the chance to take care of my parents in the past. So I told Janet that I wanted to be in the um, senior, to work with the seniors in the um, senior population. Um, I feel like giving back to them is I'm giving back 
to my parents that I didn't have the chance to take care of. So working with the seniors make me feel like I'm taking care of my mom. I'm oh. taking care of my dad. I'm taking care of, yeah, those were the two main people that I didn't have the chance to give back the love that they gave me. Um, in my culture, if you take care of your parents, it's a blessing. And I feel like I didn't get that from them. So me taking care of seniors and working with the seniors helped me know that I am keeping my parents like close, even though they're not here. Yes. But I see my parents through those seniors that I'm taking care of. Oh, what a gift. What a gift. And, and you know, clearly you have skill and you've obtained the knowledge as you've worked through your degrees, but that personal uh, connection connection, and the reason and, and the passion that you have for that, that um, must have an incredibly wonderful impact on the seniors that that you that you serve, and I know I'm looking at Denise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she I wants to, to comment. We did not have the senior group meet during the pandemic, and there could not have been a better intern than Constance to come when we just started them over again. Oh. You know, so they were able to come back in person and have somebody who really cared, who wasn't doing it because I asked them to do it because it needed to be done, but somebody who had a passion for helping them. Um, and I was able to see how important the group was to our seniors also, how disconnected they had felt for the last two years, even though we had done newsletters and tried to reach out in ways we could reach out. Um, yeah, it was just amazing to see how connected they got to her, especially after having not seen very many people yeah. and not seeing any of their senior friends. Oh my. For two years. It was really powerful. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm, I have this image of, of, you know, what it's like to, to water a flower that has, you know, that's parched and then it gets, that's us after the pandemic, after, well, still in it, but after our, our isolation, being able to reconnect with people and, you know, what a gift you are that drink of water for them. <laughs> so in yeah. day, do you, do you see, um, what are you're working on your bachelor's degree? What uh, what kind of job do you hope to pursue? And you already you you currently work uh, at Sparrow Hospital uh, at Mary Freebed. Mary Freebed, yes. So I work at um, Sparrow Hospital as a patient care tech. Um, though I'm on a rehab unit, but we also have um, patients of like. All ages, I'll say, um, seniors and then young adults. So rehab, we have patients like leave. So it's not like they stay a longer time. So interacting with people that I can talk to, young adult someone going through something and can confide in me and talk to me, especially during the pandemic when we weren't allowing um visitor to come. We were the patient's family. We talked to them because if you're in a hospital, you want the support that you can have from your family. And at that time, because of COVID, we weren't allowing visitor in the hospital. So 
the, the employees. We had to be like family to our patients that it was, it was a moment. Yeah. 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 That's, that's when people think about, um, healthcare professionals and, and care, just the word care being part of it, it's essential, but it gets, um, to be cliche and, and it can lose its meaning. But what you're describing is very much exactly why that word is, is, is in that, um, because it's that caring is, is such an essential part of it. Um, so when you're, when you're done with your bachelor's, what do you, what do you think you want to do? I want to be a, a senior advocate. Okay. Yeah. Working with individuals or working with an organization or? Well, I would say working with organization because so before going to Sparrow, I work at um, Metal Lash of Lansing and some of the patients um, had like advocates that would go visit them. And I felt like they wasn't given the time or they wasn't spending the time they needed to spend with some of those patients. So that also pushed me to go into the um, human services too because um, you taking care of a patient, they don't have no family. We have two patients in the room. The next door patient have family coming in every single day. And there is this other patient, no family member. But then the state having to send like an advocate or, or um, yeah, an advocate. And if they go to visit the patient, instead of the length of time they spent with that patient, I felt like it wasn't enough time that they were spending with that patient. And so the patient, most of the patient felt like they felt lonely. And I feel as a patient advocate, I will be there for my patients and I will spend time with them and make them feel that even though they don't have family, but I'm playing that role and I should give them the time and the support that they need. You'll do that well because I've seen it in action already. Thank you. Thank you. Well, kind of as I suspected, we have a lot to talk about and we are at the close of this episode. So I'm going to suggest to our listeners that you tune in next for part two uh, of this conversation uh, with Janet Marion, Suende Constancier, Joan Nelson, and Denise Paquette. We're talking about LCC's human services uh, program that places students in agencies. And we're, we'll talk a little bit more about Allen Neighborhood Center and its programs and plans for the future. So thank you guests for being here and uh, we'll continue this conversation. Um, and thank you all for tuning in to listen to this episode again and other episodes of Galaxy Forum and all the LCC Connect programming. Please visit lccconnect.com. Dot org. Special thanks to Dedalian Lowry, who is LCC Connect's broadcast manager and technical producer, and to Andy Callis for composing our theme music. I'm Melissa Kaplan, and this is Galaxy Forum on LCC Connect. This has been a presentation of LCC Connect. 
a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. All shows featured on LCC Connect are recorded at the WLNZ Studio, located on LCC's downtown campus. Each program is podcast-based and can be heard anytime at lccconnect.org. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on one of our shows, connect with us by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu.